You're listening to the Gluten-Free Guide Podcast with your host, Vanessa Weisbrod. Welcome to the Gluten-Free Guide Podcast. I'm Vanessa Weisbrod coming to you from the Celiac Disease Program at Children's National Health System. And I want to start out by saying a huge thank you to all of our dedicated listeners. I also want to welcome my co-host today. I have two very special ladies here with me from our Celiac Disease Program Advisory Board, Blair Raver, who some of you have heard from in the past, and Courtney Mesmer, who is an expert in telemedicine. And we're very excited to have you guys joining us today. Today's podcast is about new devices that will allow people to measure the amount of gluten they are consuming without drawing their blood, which I just think is so cool. I can't even count the number of times I felt sick the morning after eating in a restaurant and wished that there was a way to find out if it was because I'd eaten gluten by accident or if it was something else that caused me to feel sick. To help our listeners better understand these devices, how to use them, and current research underway to validate their effectiveness, I have Dr. Jocelyn Sylvester from Boston Children's Hospital in the studio with me. Jocelyn is not only a leader in the celiac disease community, but a real friend to our celiac program here at Children's National. Welcome, Jocelyn. I'm so glad you could join me. Thank you, Vanessa. It's wonderful to be here. So, tell our listeners, how is it possible to detect if they've eaten gluten without going into the lab and having their blood drawn? So right now, we actually don't have any lab tests that look for gluten specifically, but there's some new tests that have been developed that look for gluten in urine and stool. So essentially, if instead of going to the lab and getting blood, you take your urine or your stool to the lab, we now have tests where we can look for gluten in stool and blood and urine. So how does it work? What are they measuring? So gluten is a protein, and gluten, unlike most proteins, isn't broken down very well by the enzymes in the intestine. And so a lot of the gluten that you eat actually passes through intact. So it looks the same as when it goes in as when it comes out. Some of the food that we eat is absorbed into our blood, and that gets excreted through the kidneys. And so just like the gluten in the stool comes through intact, so does the gluten that goes into our blood and out through our kidneys. And so these tests use antibodies to measure levels of these proteins, which we call GIPs for gluten immunogenic peptides. Wow, that's so interesting. Blair, I think you have a question. I'm just curious if these tests are FDA approved. So that's a very good question. So the FDA regulates tests for a medical indication, and the FDA doesn't consider having gluten in your urine or stool to be a medical condition. So the FDA doesn't regulate the tests because they're not a medical test per se. Um, Is there any time limit uh, of when you ingest the gluten to taking the test? Is there a certain... Um, yes, that's a great question, and it's really interesting because it's actually highly variable. So as some people probably know, some people, when they eat gluten, get diarrhea, which means the gluten will go through faster. Others may get constipation, which means it may go through slower. And so when we look at all the people, the time to see gluten in stool can be anywhere from one to four or five days. It really depends on how long it takes things to go through your system. In terms of the urine, it's even more variable. Most people, they have gluten detectable in their blood within an hour, but there's some people where there's a delay and it's not until many hours later that they have the gluten in their urine. So there's not a clear time course, but definitely it shows up in the urine before it shows up in the stool for most people. So you mentioned at the beginning that there's no way to measure if you've eaten gluten in your blood. So tell us why the TTG test isn't going to work to tell us if they're managing a gluten-free diet correctly. 
So the TTG test looks for TTG antibodies, which are antibodies to tissue transglutaminase, which is an enzyme that's all over the body, including in the intestine, that people with celiac disease make antibodies to this enzyme. So at diagnosis, this is an excellent test, and it's our first-line screening test for celiac disease to look for tissue transglutaminase antibodies. But we know that pretty much everybody with celiac disease, when you reduce the amount of gluten in their diet, the antibody level goes down. We also know from studies that have been done by uh, Dr. Dan Leffler at the Beth Israel that when you take people with celiac disease well-controlled on a gluten-free diet and give them gluten, it can take a month or longer of daily gluten exposure for these antibody levels to go up. So there's a delay between when the antibody goes up and when you have gluten, and there's not a clear correlation. So most people who still have intestinal damage on a gluten-free diet will actually have a negative antibody level, which is part of the reason why we really need better tests to give patients better feedback on whether they're really following a gluten-free diet. Great. So in order to do these urine and stool tests, do you have to go to your doctor, or is it like a pregnancy test that you could do at home? So there's two forms of the test. One form is a lab-based test, which would require going to your doctor. The form that's available in the United States right now is called Gluten Detective. It's the same test that's available in Europe, because I'm sure you have listeners in Europe as well, that's called Gluten Detect. And this is actually very much like a pregnancy test. It's the same type of technology. It's called lateral flow technology. And so what you do is you collect your sample, and then unlike a pregnancy test where you apply your sample directly, for these tests you have to process the sample a little bit because you have to get the gluten out so that you can detect it. So after you process it, you put it on your device that looks like a pregnancy test. If you have one stripe, that's the control. If you have two stripes, that means that you have a control, plus they found gluten in your sample. All right, Jocelyn, let's just get down and dirty here. I know we all talk about poop a lot. So if people at home are listening, what do they actually have to do with their poop in order to make it work on this test? So that's a really good question, and it's actually really important. So gluten is in food, but it's inside cells. And so depending on how well those cells in the plants that we eat are broken down or how well the, how well the flour is broken down, it may actually take some effort to get the gluten out so that it can be seen. And so first of all, they have to collect their poop, and the test kit includes a piece of paper to catch it. Okay. Uh, and then once they've collected it, sample from three areas. The test kit includes a small spoon that you can use, and the idea is to sample from three different areas of the stool, kind of front, middle, and back, because okay. it all comes out in order, <laughs> theoretically, although there's a lot of mixing in the intestine. Um, and then that gets put into a solution, and you have to shake it for about 10 minutes. And it's really important to shake it really well because what that step is doing is releasing the gluten. Then you add another um, solution, which is also in the kit. You add a few drops of that, and then you put it on the device. So there's gloves in the kit, but really you can do it without actually touching the poop at all. Got it. Now, for parents who have younger children who might not yet be potty trained, can they collect the poop out of a diaper, or will that mess it up? Absolutely. So the nice thing about gluten is that it's really stable. Okay. And as far as we know, it tends to be fairly well dispersed within the stool um, in the areas that you have gluten. So um, if you have some liquid matter that soaks into the diaper, then the solid that's left, you should be able to find gluten in there if there's gluten in the stool. That's great. So now how much does a person, how much gluten does a person need to be eating to have it actually come out in the test? So that's a very good question. And interestingly, it probably depends on a lot of things. We know that 
people who have celiac disease and it's active and they have damage to their small intestine, they actually absorb all proteins more efficiently than people who have healthy intestines because we talk about a leaky gut in a sort of metaphorical sense. And one of the things that the sick gut and celiac disease does is it leaks more protein into the blood and then you have more protein coming out of the urine. And so as a general rule, we say the stool test, you have to have about 25 milligrams of gluten and for the urine test it's probably more about 50 milligrams and that's because for the stool test most of it comes out in the poop but for the urine test you're only absorbing a small proportion of it. What does that mean in terms of how much they've eaten? So when we do gluten challenge studies we usually challenge with three or five or ten grams of gluten a day so that's hundreds of times more so we're looking at levels that would be cross-contamination. So if they ate french fries that were in the same fryer as other gluten-containing things, or they would have to eat like a bite of a piece of bread or... Exactly. It's going to detect smaller amounts than say you ate the whole pizza. Got it. A bite of the pizza would be enough. Got it. Now, this is something I started thinking about after we were Digestive Disease Week, and there was that whole row of exhibitors that had um, supplement enzymes that they're saying help them to digest gluten. If somebody had eaten gluten and then took one of those, would that distort what we were seeing in these tests? So that's a very good question. There are some enzymes that are available. I know we had a question earlier about the FDA. The FDA has not, that no, none of the enzymes for digesting gluten that are currently available have been submitted for review by the FDA and so none of them are available as a medical indication and none of them are recommended for patients with celiac disease who require a gluten-free diet. Now theoretically if these enzymes remain active and you've had a small amount of gluten and they could remain active through the GI tract they might digest some of the gluten so that you don't recover as much but we really don't know from the studies that have been done with some of these enzymes we know that they don't actually digest the gluten very well. So we would assume that if they don't work to protect you from gluten, they're probably not going to work to cover up the fact that you had gluten if you're trying to pass your poop test. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> so someone couldn't take it the night before they come to the clinic and, and pass the poop test. No. So now your team in Canada has done some fascinating research using these devices already with your doggy bag study. Can you tell our listeners about your work? Absolutely. So the doggy bag study is actually... A doggy bag study, and it's an acronym. So this is the determination of gluten grams ingested and excreted by adults eating gluten-free, doggy bag study. And essentially what we did is, your listeners probably know that there's sort of two types of doggy bags. One is when you go to the restaurant and you can't quite finish your meal, and so you get a doggy bag home to give to your dog or to eat for your own lunch tomorrow. The other thing is we have more and more urban pooches. We're realizing that their owner often has to chase after them with a doggy bag because we want to keep our streets clean. And so this is basically what we asked our participants to do. So we are running a long-term study in Canada where we're following patients, adults with celiac disease from diagnosis for two years. And at the two-year mark, we're doing a follow-up biopsy. So what we decided to do is before participants had their follow-up biopsy, they collected samples for us in their doggy bags for 10 days. So they did seven days of food. We asked them to give us quarter sample representative of the food that they ate, as well as three urine samples a day and four stools. And we asked them to collect the stools over the last seven days of the 10-day period because we knew that the stools that they produced in the first few days would be food that they ate before we asked them to start collecting their food. And then these samples that we got, we used these tests to look for gluten. So we could get an idea of how much and how often 
people with celiac disease on a gluten-free diet who are trying to follow a gluten-free diet are getting exposed to gluten. Interesting. And what did you find? So we found that, like the truth, gluten is out there. And unfortunately, <laughs> it's also on a gluten-free diet. So we found that we had about 8% of our um, food samples tested positive for gluten and a similar percentage of our stool and urine samples. So out of the 18 participants who participated, 12 of them had at least one sample that was positive over a 10-day period. Wow. That's a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so definitely it tells us that people are getting gluten. One of the things that's really interesting is that for the food samples, because we asked for a quarter of the food and we weighed it, we could work back based on how much gluten we detected, how much gluten we think they had. And some of these samples had detectable gluten, but it still would have been less than 20 parts per million. In fact, about half of the food samples tested less than 20 parts per million. And as your listeners know, less than 20 parts per million is a definition of gluten-free. So right. it's really important to remember that gluten-free doesn't really mean no gluten. Right. And really, we need a better word um, because we find gluten in gluten-free diet because even gluten-free can have gluten in it. Exactly. So. Were the people who you were detecting having eaten gluten, were they experiencing symptoms and thinking they were eating gluten, or did they think they were being gluten-free? That was one of the things that was really interesting. Now, we know in any population, when you study them, there's something called the Hawthorne effect, which means that when people know that they're being watched, they behave a little better than if they don't know that <laughs> yeah. they're being watched. It's kind of like Christmas and Santa Claus. Yeah. And so these participants knew they were in a study, they knew they were giving us samples, and they knew we were testing them for gluten. And so if anything, we would expect that these patients would be better at a gluten-free diet than your average person. But they weren't. But they weren't. <laughs> or I think part of what we learned from the study is that just that following a gluten-free diet is really difficult. Yeah. And gluten is everywhere and it's hard to avoid. The people who participated in the study were also living their lives. And 10 days is a hard period of time to really put your life on hold. So people were going to parties, they were visiting relatives, some people did it over holidays. Yeah. And so just like in the real world, people weren't always in the situation which is the most controlled when they were preparing yeah. food for themselves. Absolutely. And I mean, even just thinking about the last 10 days of my life, how many times I wasn't in a controlled environment where I was the one making the food and making sure that it was completely free of cross-contamination. So. And I think this is one of the things that we take for granted is we think that we're on a gluten-free diet and we think that we're not having symptoms and then patients think, okay, if I'm not having symptoms and I'm on a gluten-free diet, I must be doing okay. But one of the things that was really interesting in this study is you asked a minute ago was, did people know that they were getting gluten? And so we asked the participants to complete a diary every day and we asked them if they thought they'd had symptoms and if they thought they'd had gluten. And if they thought they had gluten, what food they thought had gluten in it. And what was really interesting was that most of the patients did not suspect that they had had gluten when, they, when we found gluten in their food. And many of those who suspected, suspected based on the fact that they had eaten in an uncontrolled environment. So they'd been at a restaurant or they'd purchased something from a farmer's market. And so it was one of those things that was maybe a little iffy or a little questionable to start with. And it wasn't necessarily that they were having symptoms. So only about 20% of the exposures did people think they had symptoms. And this is not surprising and really consistent with, with what we know about celiac disease because you have to remember that the more screening we do, the more we're finding people with celiac disease who have totally flat villi and definitely have celiac disease who actually don't have any symptoms at all. And so there's not a great correlation between gluten exposures and symptoms. Right. 
So when you ran the, the urine and stool test, did you use the at-home version of the test or the lab-based version? We did both. And do they both tell you how much or does only the lab one tell you how much? So that's a good question. So the just like a pregnancy test, the urine test tells you gluten yes. or no gluten. <laughs> Smiley face or not. <laughs> the lab test um, tells you you can get a number. So that gives us a concentration, which is how we were able to work back concentrations. Um, but for the home-based testing, that's not available. So if you did the test on your own at home, you wouldn't know if you got like a tiny bit of gluten or a lot of gluten. You would just know yes or no. True. However, there's a small extent to which the darker the band, the more gluten is there. But so it's just not like with the pregnancy you... test, if it goes the plus sign immediately, you know that you're definitely pregnant and probably further along than if it's slow to transition to plus or minus. Exactly. <laughs> so Jocelyn, what do you think the future is with these tests? Um, do you think we'll see doctors using them at annual appointments to test their patients, or do you think more patients will be using them at home? I think both are going to happen. I think this is a really exciting time for celiac disease. It's really like suddenly being able to measure blood glucose if you have type 1 diabetes or being able to measure blood pressure if you have blood pressure and you're trying to manage your blood pressure. This is the first opportunity that we really had for patients with celiac disease to get real feedback on how well they're doing on their diet. And so I think it's empowering for patients to be able to have these devices and really test and really know. And I think what we're learning from this is we already know a gluten-free diet is difficult. We already know that mistakes happen, but we are also learning that maybe mistakes happen more often than we think. And so I think using these tests, either patients on their own or in the physician's office, is going to help to bring about a greater awareness of the real need for better treatments than a gluten-free diet. That's great. So there's been a lot of talk recently about hypervigilance, reducing quality of life with the gluten-free diet. Do you have any worry about these tests perhaps making people become overly worried about the food they eat and just regularly testing themselves because they're so concerned about what they ate the night before? Well, I think that that's a possibility, and that's part of the reason why education is very important. At the same time, what you're really asking me is, should I be worried that people want to give themselves the best treatment that we're asking them to give themselves? And I think that if that has a lot of consequences and adverse consequences, then we need a better treatment. We actually are doing a study right now at Boston Children's Hospital where we're having our patients collect samples at random, and half of them are being given the device to test at home, and half of them are just collecting the samples. And the primary outcome for that study is actually um, how much gluten we're finding in the samples, and if having some feedback means people are able to adjust their diet. But we're also really interested in quality of life. So we have some quality of life measures as well, because we're concerned that if there's a tool, you need to have something you can do to adjust your behavior. Right. And I think the nice thing about a gluten-free diet is that there is an opportunity to adjust your behavior because if you find that when you go to your favorite restaurant and you're getting gluten regularly, then either that's going to have to not be your favorite restaurant or you're going to have to work with your favorite restaurant to figure out where the gluten is coming in. Right. So what do you think, Blair and Courtney? Are you going to be testing your urine and stool anytime soon? It definitely sounds interesting. I was uh, wondering as a, as a consumer, how would... I get one of these tests. Do I need to go to my doctor? Is it available for purchase? You know, so it's available online. Okay. If you go to glutendetective.com, you can purchase it and you can have it sent straight to your house. I do think it's a fascinating test to to think about doing. I mean, if you're experiencing recurrent symptoms and you're convinced that you're on a gluten free 
diet, this could really be a game changer for you and how, how you live your life. Absolutely. And I think especially for parents of small children who might be in a care scenario and they might yeah. wonder, there's a lot of things that go around daycares other than gluten that can cause you to have vomiting or diarrhea. And so having a test so that you can know if that's gluten and maybe it's safe to send your child back to daycare or if maybe that's <laughs> rotavirus or something that you really shouldn't be sharing with the rest of the children in daycare is yeah. a really helpful tool to have. Absolutely. Well, I want to thank you so much for all of this great information. It's been absolutely fascinating, and it marked just such a big step forward for our celiac disease community. So thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you, Vanessa. Now, before we sign off for today, I've got our grocery store tip of the week brought to you thanks to the generous support of Giant and Martin's Foods. The frozen section of the store is home to many sweet treats like ice cream and frozen yogurt. When you're diagnosed with celiac disease, it may seem like childhood favorites like cookies and cream and cookie dough ice cream are off limits. But many manufacturers are now producing gluten-free treats that have certified gluten-free Oreo-style cookies and doughs in them. So head on down to your local supermarket and check out their selection of frozen treats. Well, we're out of time for today. I hope you all enjoyed today's podcast and we'll talk to you again next time.